0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Managing Remote Teams podcast. This is Luke Shermer, your host, and I think the key thing that many people have been asking for, listeners of the podcast that is, for a while, is that they haven't been able to get their hands on an audio version of the book. It makes sense, right? If you listen to a podcast, you enjoy listening to a book, which kind of covers the same thing, but possibly gives you a little more insight because it's structured compared at least to a free-flowing conversational podcast like the one that I typically share with you. And after giving it a little bit of thought, I've decided to go the route of looking for a way to digitally narrate the book. So instead of either delivering the voice myself or hiring someone to do it, I preferred to do that as a first step. Take a high-quality tool that takes the text and then generates speech out of it so you can just listen to the content. Admittedly, as I've been creating it, there's been bits and pieces that I've found that I've tweaked thanks to hearing it in the book on audio, but I think that I this is the main thing that I wanted to share with you. So the second thing that I wanted to talk about is that there is a new release of the book going live on the Kindle store of the book, and the book has been completely rewritten. This is the fifth edition, I believe. So if you've already bought it, thank you. Thank you very much. It's going to be automatically updated. There's nothing else for you to do, although you're more than welcome to take a look, see see what's been changed, what's been added, that kind of thing. And in this latest edition, it's been a restructure. There's a lot more content in Alignment, which has been renamed to Team Motivation. And the primary focus is actually meetings, which... Initially, was at the end, but I've brought it forward since that seems to be the main thing that people do look for when they look for books on this topic. And in terms of the nuances there, I've been able to go into a lot more depth than I did it originally. And I think a lot of this is just being able to actually articulate things more clearly now with the extra time that I've had to explore the topic so specifically on the meeting side looking at elements like collaborative editing within meetings which is i think a complete game changer which i think very few people are actually using right now <coughs> in other words looking ways to looking at ways to get all of the participants involved in a meeting and not just sitting there listening on the listening end of a meeting for most of it on the team motivation side there's A real deep dive on prioritization of leadership and why that matters in a remote context, where realistically things tend to be rather ambiguous already, even without remote. And then when you add remote on top of that, where you take away a lot of the additional context people had of being in the office, the relationships they had there, that all of that, it suddenly becomes a much bigger issue, which is why I think it's really worth deep diving and understanding exactly why ambiguity is an issue and why it causes all kinds of unnecessary distraction. And that's something that happens within a company. And then finally, the productivity part where there's a lot of struggle, I think, particularly with delegation in larger companies where if you've got a lot of things going on, a lot of sheriffs each pushing in their own direction, pushing, pulling, as the case may be, then it, yeah, it it makes it hard to delegate in a way that you can actually hold others and yourself accountable. And I think that is one thing that really matters in a remote context. The other is largely around this whole idea of a heartbeat, organizing your work, even if it's, let's say, typical office analytical creative work, organizing it in a way where an entire team can deliver one item at a time. And that really changes quite a lot in terms of the dynamic of how the team works and what you're able to achieve with the time and the resources that you have. Yeah, so just to summarize, you can grab the latest version of the book on Kindle, on Amazon, on your local Amazon. And the audiobook, the easiest way to find that is if you browse to lukeshermer.com. That's L-U-K-E-S-Z-Y-R-M-E-R.com. There's links there also. There's also a link to the audiobook. And for September, I wanted to offer all of the listeners to the podcast to, in fact, inspired me to create the audio version of it, a 30% off coupon for anyone who buys it in September uh, as an initial month launch. And I think you should be using the the code MRT Podcast30. That's M-R-T-P-O-D-C-A-S-T 30 and that will give that will be active until the end of September. So if you're interested in grabbing that, then now is definitely a time to do that. And I will be looking forward to hearing back from you as you go through the book and and also looking forward to hearing more. And One last thing, just so you get a sense of what the audiobook experience is like when it's digitally narrated. I just wanted to provide you a sample so that you have a sense of what it's like. And in fact, I have queued up the introductory chapter. So the first chapter that kind of gives you an overview of what actually is in there and what the angle is on managing remote teams. This is the essence of how this book is taking a slightly different approach. And here you go.
1: Introduction e- Exploring an alternative way to achieve together through others who are all remote. Work is fundamentally a social experience. Just ask any professional parent who tried to work from home with small kids during the pandemic. As adults, we need each other to decide what is important, what finishing work ultimately means, and finally, to actually do the work. To collaborate effectively we each need to understand what our co-collaborators want their intent if we don't see it we guess we fill in the gaps based on our communication with them and the meaning can be easily misconstrued for example we're done sent in a text or chat message can imply a brutish end of long-running romance or completing a major milestone like a new product release it depends on who's saying it and what has happened leading up to that message Instead of taking a look at what makes remote work unique, this book examines what has stayed the same, how our relationships at work and the wiring of our brains help us define and achieve what's meaningful, together. Who am I to be talking about this? My name is Luke Shermer. I've worked and managed remotely over a decade to date. I've successfully led teams spanning multiple continents, time zones, and industries. I've seen what works and what doesn't in large companies and in fast-growing startups. While I respect the value of rigorous testing in academic research, I'm a classic practitioner. I only care about theories that explain what's going on, and that produce results in practice. This book started as an experiment, to solve specific problems I faced, with proven ideas I could try to apply with my teams. A lot of them weren't useful or relevant, but this book contains the ones that are. When the pandemic hit, Lots of online content about remote working appeared, although much of it included lists of 37 tools to help you work remotely, for example. It was well-meaning, but written by desk researchers who had as much remote experience as their readers. Looking at the impressive volume of activity around remote work, I also found very little advice specifically for managers. After the initial shock died down, CEOs shared big visions around the future of work in their industry and their company. The rank-and-file employees figured out a way to make do with ergonomic keyboards and standing desks. But the average middle manager was still on the hook to ship and make things happen in this brave new world, without the ability to work with and through others based on body language and other in-person cues they traditionally relied on to guide them. Two years have passed. We've navigated the downs and ups of remote culture shock. While our context changed dramatically to fully remote, our brains remained the same. The overnight change and how we coped revealed a lot about working together with others we've started to come up with better ways of working together we are now ready to consider what truly matters what is truly important about remote work how humans collaborate and achieve together let's use technology as an enabler and not an inconvenience by default and to achieve together effectively regardless of where we work asterisk asterisk, asterisk. Despite being a member of Generation X, I was lucky enough to grow up as a digital native. In truth, I was that kid. The kid who handed in school papers printed on a dot matrix printer and written on a word processor, when everyone else hand-wrote their homework. My dad brought home a series of desktop computers from work. I played games, tinkered with them, and swapped stories with friends about how to get the most out of the latest sound card. At the time, each computer was self-contained. Located physically in one place. I started college in 1994, just as the internet started connecting computers and their owners into a global network. I was among the lucky pioneers ever to collaborate digitally with people, without meeting them in person for years. Thanks to a few eager professors. The English department maintained class-specific listservs, and invited students to class-specific online discussions. These were early open source equivalents of what was later commercialized as Google groups for example, now itself a dinosaur in internet years. You sent an email to an alias, and that alias resent your email to everyone else. Technically it wasn't that complicated, but interpersonally, broadcasting an email to strangers raised awkward concerns. Who would read it? Do I know then? What would they think if they don't see me? What if no one responds? What does that mean? It was like a bad Seinfeld episode of seemingly meaningless social questions, all which were critical to establishing and understanding the sender's relationship with the group members. By engaging in email discussions with strangers, we'd establish a baseline for how the group would interact later. Little details served to replace body language. You worked out the intent of a message based on that context, similar to how body language worked in person. You filled in the gaps. Meeting without a meeting. This is a good example of the nuance to meetings. In meetings, we decide what matters and what we're going to do as a group. Just because most business meetings are poorly designed, that doesn't mean does not suggest that meetings themselves are worthless. Just try excluding someone from a meeting. Or cancelling all meetings for a team. I speak from experience. You'll hear more about that later. One thing is for sure. Getting remote right requires you to be a lot smarter about meetings that you organize and participate in. Asterisk, 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 When I finally landed my first job out of college, as a self-motivated, self-taught programmer no less, I'd been assigned to work with a few engineers based out of Switzerland. We were building a new embedded software platform for big-ticket vending machines, Tetchy even by my standards today. It was an ambitious technology platform redesign, funded by an unsuspecting U.S. East Coast public transport network as the first client to get it. There was a lot of ambiguity in what the customer needed, like regulatory constraints. For example, one train stop at a small village existed solely because a powerful state senator lived there. Of course, it also had different fare structures, routing logic. The requirements document alone was over 500 pages. 50% of it was out of date at any given time, but nobody agreed which 50% it was. By the time it was updated, something else was out of date. The whole project was rife with uncertainty. The best way to build systems like this is to model the customer's understanding, and reflect it in the structure of the system. If requirements change later, it tends to be much easier to adjust the internals of a system built this way but the Swiss engineers decided they would build the core of the platform in a fancy programming language in Bern, assuming that the US satellite office would write scripts to customize the platform. In short, they circumvented my boss and the customer completely. Paradoxically, they chose to build a core system themselves, leaving the client-specific scraps for remote offices like mine. From the perspective of a technical career, they used and learned skills in a powerful and valuable programming language. My colleagues and I were expected to tweak their solution in a non-transferable language. I was disappointed. In my frustration, I started arguing my case using the same long email style. They were full of witty and punchy sentences worthy of an ex-English major, or at least so I'd hoped. One of the burn based software architects found my emails to be too forward and presumptive. In their view, my American writing style and overeagerness weren't convincing. Just annoying. Eventually, my boss realized he had to send me to Switzerland in order to shake out our differences in person. That first meeting in the office has been hard to forget, even though it happened over 20 years ago now. Sun coming in through the office bay windows on my left. Jens, the lead Swiss architect, sitting cramped over his keyboard. I walk up to him to introduce myself sheepishly. He acknowledges my presence, looking up. He gets up. Offers his hand while looking slightly away. I remember that initial lack of eye contact still today. Over the week, we eventually had a few conversations during my stay. But the decision was made earlier. Not feeling heard and included, I started looking for a new job. And left the company a few months later, after we'd released the product we'd just finished. Having gotten that job based on sheer self motivation to learn about technology, one learned on my own skin how alignment affected my own motivation to be part of a team. On one hand, a motivated maniac eventually does really well in this line of work. The ability to learn was more important than the technical skills that were typically screened for. On the other hand, it was easy to lose an employee, even someone highly motivated, to misalignment across teams in this case. At this company, The problems were many and unclear. The agenda wasn't framed properly. There were too many competing priorities, and as a result, we were constantly distracted. Geographic location only made the work harder. It forced us to communicate digitally. This meant we'd have to fill in the gaps which mattered when there were differences and ambiguities to iron out. From a remote leadership perspective, we didn't know what was important overall and to our teams. We ended up fighting amongst ourselves more than necessary, in order to set those priorities. And while this can happen with everyone working in one office together, when you're partially or fully remote, the strife and confusion feels greater, has more emotional impact because you're filling in the gaps. asterisk asterisk. asterisk. Fast forward a few years. I was working with a close-knit financial technology team in a London-based office. We had a decent rhythm on a team of four. Then our tester dropped a bombshell. She announced that she was leaving to join former colleagues at a different company. After a big release, we were allocated a remote tester in the Riga office, who we'd never met physically. How would this work? We were used to convening around a bunch of stickies and physically moving them around as we knocked off tasks. It clearly couldn't work physically anymore. Bit by bit, we worked out how we could hand over work to each other across time zones. We met each other virtually, finding out about one another. And surprisingly after about a month or two, we'd pretty much returned to the high pace of work we were accustomed to previously. We just fell into a pattern that really flew. When the tester flew over to meet us in person months later, we already felt like we knew a lot about one another. We'd filled in the gaps, and created a working relationship that worked. Worked so well, in fact, that I replicated it in future roles. And even managed to scale it up a few times. As I advanced to coordinate the work of a team and later of multiple teams, that experience served me well. At the peak, I ran three teams across 13 time zones and nine locations, a mix of in office and remote. It was possible to do the highly creative and technical work of software development remotely. While it certainly was convenient to be in an office, it wasn't necessary. In short, I know remote leaders can achieve high levels of group creativity when collaborating remotely. I've done it before multiple times. You can, too. Coming to the office was truly optional. While it was admittedly awkward starting new relationships without meeting someone in person, given enough time it didn't matter. How we worked and collaborated mattered a lot more than where we were physically. asterisk asterisk. asterisk. Humans have a need to fill in the gaps to make sense of what others want based on what they communicate to us. There is a greater gap when we work digitally, but ultimately it's a distraction, even for types of work that require individual focus, craft, and a deep work. Like programming or writing for example, the value of that work will partially be determined by other people and the meaning they attach to it. Whether it's important. This book goes into three different aspects leaders must really understand when running remote teams. In order to lead effectively, rethinking meetings, rethinking team motivation, rethinking productivity. Even though it's a bit cliche in IT circles, you need to go back to leadership first principles in a remote context. Figure out how they apply in order to help teams achieve consistently in this new environment. Without first principles, you end up stuck trying to recreate 2019. At this point, it's safe to say that we will never go back to 2019, even if you try to recreate it in your company. There are thousands of alternatives that employees have if they want to work remotely. In other words, while I am writing about collaboration, ultimately the question is how to lead effectively regardless of your own location. Let's dig in, shall we?
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Managing Remote Teams podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts and reach out to us on Twitter or LinkedIn with any feedback or thoughts that you have for a future show.